When you post hunting photos on Instagram, they get censored. When you post on Go Wild, you get virtual fist bumps from fellow hunters. When you buy gear on Amazon, you gas up a billionaire spaceship. When you buy gear on Go Wild, we donate to a camp that teaches kids to hunt, fish, and shoot. See the difference? Go Wild is a free social community built by hunters for hunters. Join today at DownloadGoWild.com and I'll give you 10 bucks just for setting up your account. And you'll keep unlocking GoWild rewards as you share content because guess what? We like hunting pictures. Join at DownloadGoWild.com or in the App Store. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Brought to you by Vortex Optics. Here we go. It's hump day. I'm jacked up off coffee and uh, I've been listening to 90s rap this morning, planning for my future. And what I mean by that is, I don't know, ever since the, I'll just be, I'll just be honest with you. Ever since I've got more money coming in from the network and um, I don't, I don't want to call myself successful yet because I don't think I'm there. But what I've done is I've built a business and with this business has come some additional funds that I can put towards hunting, right? And now I'm starting to think, because I used to think, hey man, a a Yukon River float trip for rutting moose isn't ever going to be possible. Or a a fly-in where they take a plane and drop me off in the middle of nowhere, uh, Alaska caribou hunt. I didn't ever think that was going to be an option in my life. And now through planning and preparation, I feel like I could make that happen in the next couple of years. And that's why I wanted to get today's guest on. We're going to be talking with Kyle Hansen of Outdoors International, and he is a hunt consultant. So what he does is a guy says, hey, I want to do a bucket list hunt. I want to do a once in a lifetime big hunt there's a whole bunch of different logistics than going to like, for me, it would be like going to Missouri, buying an over the counter tag and hunting, right? It's way more complicated than that. I shouldn't say way more complicated because in this episode, he kind of talks about how it's not as complicated as you think, but that's where he and guys like him step in to help with the planning to help with the logistics, to talk about their experience and their team of people that they have surrounding them that make this whole thing uh, a a possibility or uh, can make it a reality. We talk about everything from what to expect as far as uh, a dollar amount, what to expect as far as travel, what to expect as far as, you know, how long you should uh, plan for something like this. You know, are there preference points? Uh, do you need to go DIY? Do you need to go with a outfitter or through a guide service? Uh, it's just a really good conversation. Um, and I know that this episode may not be the type of episode at, that everybody is going to want to listen to as far as, you know, hey, maybe right now is not the time for me uh, because I, you know, I can't afford it or um, I got too many young kids or, or whatever the scenario, whatever the scenario is. Um, but it's going to be a good listen because it will let you know what to expect when that time comes. So this is uh, like, it's going to be, it's going to be fun. Um, this whole the, the dreams and I'll, t- I'll give you a little bit of a backstory here when I was young every Sunday night I would be 
at my dad's. And it was me, my brother, and my dad. And every Sunday night, we would watch National Geographics. And they would go to the craziest places on earth. And sometimes they would even focus on some animals. Well, you focus on the the nature aspect of it, the adventure aspect of it. And then over the years, uh, I've fallen in love with hunting. And now those types of trips and mixed with hunting could it's just going to lead to more adventure and ultimately one of the reasons why i love to hunt is is the adventure aspect of it and uh so that's why um that's why i'm i'm starting to think and plan for for you know one of these types of hunts and and to be honest with you for some reason caribou is on the top of my list um moose is on the top of my list uh you know canada alaska uh, maybe even a once-in-a-lifetime elk hunt in a state like Wyoming or Montana or, I don't know, New Mexico. He also talks about tag allocations and things like that. So it's a really good episode. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. Uh, let's knock out some uh, let's knock out some uh, commercials here real quick. And uh, if I can find my paper, I'm always unprepared when it comes to this part of the um when it comes to this part of the show but uh i just want to say if you haven't already go to itunes or wherever you download your podcast leave a five-star review let everybody out there know that hey the nine finger chronicles is a badass podcast and based off of the growth that i'm seeing um you guys agree so go and let everybody know about it follow on instagram and facebook but be sure that you are following on go wild with the recent um uh go wild isn't is in it is a social media app for hunters, basically all for hunters. And I'm going to be spending more time on that app. And to be honest with you, less time on places like Facebook and Instagram because of the fact that I feel like currently I'm shadow banned from sharing certain things. I know that when I share a picture of a, a trophy shot of a guy with a deer, it gets way, way lower of analytics than what it did about a year ago. And my my growth has stalled on all social media platforms, uh, especially Instagram and Facebook. So it just tells me that they don't like what I have to say and that doesn't really work for me. So I'm gonna be sharing a lot more information um, and content on Go Wild. So make sure you guys sign up for that. But let's get to the commercials real quick. Um, if you're looking for one of the best hunting apps on the market, period, it's the most popular, it has the most functionality, you need to go check out huntstand.com and uh, read up on everything that they have to offer. Uh, trail camera management software, you know, the, the, the boundaries, like property boundaries, public, private, a uh, whole bunch of uh, like up-to-date satellite imagery and the ability to import pins and waypoints from other hunting apps. They have the ability to do that as well. And it's only like 30 bucks a year compared to what others are charging. Uh, so you're getting more functionality for a more affordable price. Discount code for 20% off, SN20. I'm going to try to get some information about this whole lone wolf not being a company anymore and this this new brand Novex that is out and the transition from them to Novex, from lone wolf to Novex. And I'll, I'll, I'll have more information uh, coming shortly, hopefully. And then Wasp Broadheads, if you are looking for 
a uh, if you're looking for a badass broadhead and a majority of their heads are still made in America, uh, wasparchery.com. Go check them out. Discount code for 20% off the number nine followed by the word fingers 2021. Now, I keep talking about Ozonics. I keep talking about Ozonics. I keep talking about Ozonics. Dude, ozone for a busy hunter. And what I mean by a busy hunter is someone that relies, you know, on who has a full-time job, has a family, and every trip to the field to hunt is important. Um, Go to ozonicshunting.com and find out the, you know, find out the, the whole, all the information that you, that, you can read on their website about the benefits of hunting with ozone both in and out of the field and if you do decide to purchase one of their units enter the discount code nfc21 nfc21 and you'll get a free dry wash bag with a purchase of one of their units title sponsor vortex optics these guys are going to be coming out with a ton of new products in the next like four months so i'm going to have some more information both on here and the nine finger chronicles or excuse me the hunting gear podcast about vortex exodus trail cameras man i can't wait to get out and get some corn dumped uh, on some of these farms and uh, uh, see what deer are still in the area other than that we have excalibur crossbows if you're looking for a a crossbow um, and i'll tell you right now it's a it's going to be a great transition for someone who is aging and maybe compound bows are slowly getting out of the you know out of their wheelhouse or for a new hunter um, or even a kid uh, a a crossbow might be an awesome entry level uh, weapon for them and you can go to excalibur crossbow Dot com and check out all of the, the the products that these guys have to offer. So there is the commercial right there. Hopefully you guys enjoy this episode. I know I did. It's a good one. Have a good rest of your day. Enjoy this episode. Huge shout out to Kyle for making time to do this. And uh, we'll talk to you on the back end. Three, two, one. All right. On the phone with me today, Mr. Kyle Hanson. Kyle, how we doing, man? Good, Dan. How are you? I'm doing good, man. How was your season this year? Busy, but overwhelmingly successful. Yeah. So run us through real quick where you, where you went and, and what did you hunt? Well, this season for me actually started in the spring with uh, spring bear out in Idaho, and then it ended in Idaho, coincidentally, late November. But my year in 2021 started out with a spot and stock, fly-in Frank Church Wilderness black bear hunt. That was awesome. Both my partner and I, we took a couple of really nice color phase bears. That was rifle hunt and horseback too. Just really, really fun epic hunt. And then throughout the summer, the preparation phase per usual, that led into a unguided caribou hunt up in Alaska that I was fortunate enough to take my father on and a family friend. That was a really fun trip. Um, I was fortunate to take a nice bull up there. And, uh, and then I had a couple of elk hunts that I went on here between Wyoming and New Mexico throughout September and October. Um, was not fortunate enough to kill my bull on those two hunts. However, I was able to help one of my good friends and actually one of my personal taxidermists take his first elk and gave him the opportunity when the time came kind of deal. I could tell you more about that later. It yeah. was awesome. But, um, and then back up to Alaska, I went to Kodiak Island and did a vessel based DIY 
blacktail hunting trip. And that was easily the most amazing trip of the entire season. That hunt is just so much fun. It should almost be illegal. We <laughs> took two bucks. Oh man, it was so much fun. You kill up to three bucks per person on that hunt. You can fish, go fox hunting, pull crab pots. Um, every single day we hiked into the main mainland there and we were coming out with heavy packs. It was just amazing i cannot wait to go back and do that trip again but um Dang. i guess i should say that 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 trip sucks and nobody should ever go on it. <laughs> <laughs> i don't i don't want to have to fight for my spot in the future <laughs> right right um and, and uh and then yeah finished out the season with a another idaho hunt it was another frank church wilderness um mule deer hunt i also had an elk tag in my pocket on that one and I was actually fortunate to take a nice mule deer buck and a six point bull on that hunt. Oh, so dang. that was that, that kind of, that made up for the early season where I didn't get my bull. And that was a cool hunt. That was also a horseback hunt, fly yeah. in horseback, wilderness, super hardcore, but just a lot of fun right in the middle of the mule deer rut. We saw like 30 to 50 deer a day and we were able to be pretty selective and took an awesome deer. And it was, it was just an awesome hunt, made a lot of friends and, got to go into a new area I haven't been before and yeah, found, found great success. So, yeah. And then back to Iowa, um, believe it or not, I actually didn't put one day into my whitetail tags this year. <laughs> I feel terrible saying that. But, a lot of people would but, kill uh, you for that. Yeah. You know, I always joke with my clients too. Like, so here in Iowa, we get two statewide, buck tags every year between archery and then a gun season of choice and like out west if you have a statewide buck tag that's called a governor's tag i mean we just get ours at walmart though so it's like we're so spoiled as our residents it's just ridiculous but no i just uh i made a choice not to archery hunt deer this year with what i had going on in october november between uh, idaho and alaska and then with uh you know spending time with loved ones and family and friends throughout the holidays i didn't get out to chase any late season deer and that's one of those things you know you just match your priorities with your expectations and you know pick and choose your battles and i I have nothing to complain about at all very fortunate to have done things that i did this year so now a lot of guys are listening to this right now and they're saying holy shit he went to alaska twice he went to wyoming he went to idaho uh a couple times like dang that's that's like that's a ton on one person's plate in one year. So now we have to tell people, what is it that you actually do for a living now? Awesome. So I am a full-time hunting consultant and North American big game specialist with Outdoors International. Um, It's kind of a wordy title, but uh, for easy explanation, I'm basically a travel agent for hunting trips. I work full-time for a company based out of Hagerman, Idaho called Outdoors International and what I do every single day, day in and day out, is I assist other people with planning their hunts and do marketing and booking services for outfitters. So I have my outfitting partners in the industry that I work with that are quality operations that we ourselves or others within our company have vetted for quality, most of which uh, we personally have hunted with or somebody within our company has hunted with in the past, um, to be able to send clients there. And we do all of that. Um, at no additional expense to the client too, which is pretty cool with our business model. Like, um, let's say 
say one of those hunts, um, whatever you would be paying the outfitter is essentially, or transporter on a DIY hunt, is what you would be paying us to do the marketing or the booking for it. And um, like when I work with clients, I just kind of interview them and have a conference call and establish expectations and figure out what sort of hunt we're looking to put together. And then I match them to the operation or service trip provider that is going to best meet their expectations. And like I said, all that is of no additional expense to a client. So I don't say that to be like salesy or anything. That's just a quick and dirty way to explain it. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. All right. So, and and the reason why I wanted to bring you on uh, today is because I'm getting to this point in my life where I want to start thinking about bucket list hunts. Okay, something that obviously is not going to be go to Walmart, buy the deer tag, go on a hunt type of hunt, you know, something that I can't do every single uh, year. And and granted, there are guys out there who money's not an option for them. They can go and do something like this every year if they wanted to. But I I am this guy who I might have to save a couple years if I want to go on this epic hunt, right? For, For the longest time, I had this dream of floating down the Yukon river and elk hunting, or excuse me, and, and moose hunting during the moose rut there, right. Or a, 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 a tundra caribou hunt where they're just funneling by you all day long with, you know, both with archery equipment. Right. But then you realize, Hey, these, these hunts are not cheap. They take planning. They take preparation. They take, um, you know, like there's logistics that in, that are involved. You can't just pack up your car and, and go for a weekend. These these hunts take uh, a good amount of time and energy to plan them properly. So what I want to know is from you is kind of talk us through what you would recommend to somebody who is maybe like me. Uh, I live in Iowa. I mostly hunt deer. I, I do get to go out west every once in a while, hunt some public DIY. But now I want to make it to Alaska or I want to make it to Canada. And I want to have one of these epic hunts. Where do we start? What do we do? How do we plan? Right on. Yeah, well, that tells me a lot. And, you know, really what I try to do with my clients is I try to take it from big picture to small picture, much like you just kind of outlined some of your expectations to me. And, um, I I think it's awesome that you're planning that it's kind of the natural progression for guys that are fanatics about hunting to, you know, you're always kind of taking it to the next level, so to say, and it happens over the career of your life hunting. Right. And so, um, with where you're at and what you're looking to do, I think that Alaska over Canada is probably going to be the best option for you. Um, the reason being that you can hunt caribou DIY unguided and more economically in Alaska than in Canada right now. Um, There's certain areas that are better than others, for sure, with herd populations always changing across the state of Alaska. Certain areas are just always going to be a little bit better than others, depending on herd size and current herd stability. Um, But for like a DIY drop camp type hunt, that's what I'm going to recommend to you. I do that because I also have confidence in your ability level as somebody that can go and camp in the field for a week and hunt. Um, You're going to want to go with a group of probably three guys. I'd say average group size on those sort of trips is like three to five, three to six. They make awesome group trips. Um, 
and something like that. You had mentioned that you're an archery hunter too. I might be a little bit more selective of when I helped you schedule that hunt, just try to get you there at a certain time when opportunity is going to be pretty consistent, whether it's not going to be as severe. Um, like some of the later season caribou hunts, they can be a lot of fun and you might even see more animals later than earlier. Um, but it's harder to shoot a bow in those conditions. And so just, you know, picking a time that's more conducive to archery, um, group size, specific location. If you wanted to bring your own gear and food, or if you wanted that kind of stuff provided for you, there's all these different operations and packages that can be put together just based on if you want transport only, or if you wanted like a, like a camp gear and food package provided for you in addition to transportation. Those are a lot of things that I would start looking at. You can kind of see how I take that from big picture to small picture for you and what I might recommend. Yeah. So, and then also with that, I'd probably recommend you start planning a couple years in advance. Those are some of the most high demand hunts in Alaska right now, the DIY drop camp type hunts. And so a lot of those really good transporters are booked out two plus years. Okay. Okay. So yeah. the planning has to take, take part. Now, I don't know if we're talking about, <clears throat> excuse me, if we're talking about Canada versus Alaska or whatever, um, I don't know, certain, po- certain states like Wyoming, right? Um, it takes preference points. Other states like New Mexico have lottery systems. Um, out yeah. in, if I decide to go to Canada or Alaska, what is the tag allocation process like? Do I need, how do I prep in advance to actually get the tags? So it's actually pretty simple with caribou. I would say most areas and all areas in Canada are going to be a tag allocated through the outfitter. And so you're guaranteed to tag through the outfitters allocation. There's different technicalities with that. That's the simplest way to look at it. Um, but then in Alaska, most of the areas that you can caribou hunt are just a general caribou tag that literally like in July, the you hunt, you just get online and order it just like you're getting your Iowa deer tag. You just get online and order it. There are a few areas that are like a limited draw. Um, but those are areas that guys normally just don't go to just because there's such few herd numbers there. Yeah. So does, is that cross the board with all species then? Like, you know, you use caribou as an example, but if a guy wants a moose or if he wants a, a brown bear or if he wants uh, whatever other animals are in Canada and Alaska, you know, Alaska to hunt, like doll sheep or something like that, something crazy. Yeah, pretty much. There's certain situations for each species where some are draw or some are on a more limited basis. Like, say, for example, most of the brown bear tags down there, on like Kodiak and a Fognac Island, those are like, those are mostly a draw for the most part. Um, moose is about the same as caribou. It, it, almost all areas are just going to be a general moose tag. Um, sheep, a little bit of both, but mostly, mostly a general sheep tag. And those have to be acquired through an outfitter. Um, mountain goat about the same. And then there's even uh, muskox hunting opportunities in Alaska, but those are a harder to draw tag than like a lower 48 sheep tag. It's kind of funny, actually, but yeah, very easy tag application process. Okay. Um, So then when it comes to a hunt like this, right, and I know every, you know, species is going to be different. Um, Method, 
right? Probably even season, like archery versus rifle, or um, if you have to fly fly a plane in, or if you can drive to the outfitter, or whatever, you know, the, the flight up to some of these places, or, or, or the drive across cross country to Wyoming or Idaho or something like that for, uh, you know, a, a really epic elk hunt where you take horses into the mountains and live in a wall tent and things, things like that. What, what should somebody expect to spend on something like this? And I know that's a very broad question. No, but it's a good question though. Um, so most like DIY drop camp type caribou operations are going to be somewhere in that four to $6,000 range for a base price. Now for what does that include? which that would include transportation in and out of the field to include getting animals out of the field, as well as in some certain cases and packages, a camp rental and food package. Like I said, each transport is a little bit different. They offer different packages, but that's about the going rate for a range right now. And so just for ease of numbers, let's say an average is 5,000 for that. Um, in addition to that, you're going to have other incidentals and expenses, right? You're going to have your tag and license. You're going to have your commercial travel to and from Alaska. You're going to have gratuities to staff, uh, hotel fees, and then a little bit of buffer zone just in case anything comes up. It's always good to have a little extra incorporated into the trip too. And it's not even including your meat processing or taxidermy when you get home. And so some guys want to factor that in. But on the caribou trips, a good buffer amount to cover all of those incidentals is about 2500 to 3000 in addition to that cost. Gotcha. And to break that down even further, so a caribou tag in Alaska is $650. A license, non-resident hunting license, is 160 If you want to get the fishing-hunting combo, that's 260 You can also get wolf tags. Those are $60 each. Um Going into commercial travel, average round-trip commercial travel is approximately $800 per person round-trip, not including check luggage. Check luggage, there's kind of a variance there because if you're an Alaska Airline credit card member, you can get your first couple checked bags for free. Um, you can cover your commercial flights through points there, which I do recommend, saves you money. Um but a guy should probably budget three to 500 bucks for additional checked luggage between bringing your gear back and bringing meat and trophy parts back, yeah. which you can do through checked luggage with Alaska Airlines, which is pretty sweet. Um, and then you're also going to have hotel costs, um, gratuity for your pilot, hangar staff, um, food and incidentals while in travel. Um, and then, you know, other little things, too, that are kind of like optionals. Like, I always recommend on Alaskan flights, guys get some sort of trip insurance policy that covers them in the event of, like, weather delays or lost luggage or, you know, things that can and sometimes can come up. COVID nowadays. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's a good buffer zone. And like I said, there's ways to save money in there, like getting an Alaska Airline credit card. Um, you can bring their own food and gear, little stuff like that. But gotcha. you know, probably right in that like seven to eight thousand dollar range door to door per guy is realistic for a, for that would be that uh, that example would be a caribou hunt, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. And then it just it kind of stair steps up 
from there, right? Like a moose hunt's going to be more. It does. Right? It does. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you brought up a good point there, and that was COVID happens, or let's just say there's a death in my family, and I, as a priority, I have to stay and miss this hunt because I got to deal mm-hmm. with this, or I break a leg, or whatever, mm-hmm. right? We go through all of this um, planning preparation, and now it's game time, but I can't go on my hunt. How much of that cost do I have to eat? Do I lose my place in line? Am I able to push that hunt back a year? Uh, Like, How does that work? So that always depends on how close it is to your hunt. Like day before your hunt, not good. Yeah. Um, a month out better six months not really an issue and the reason i say that is because especially on high demand hunts like those if something ever happens which this actually happens every single year uh, what is nine months from now september i mean just do a little math on the human gestational period things happen new family members uh, guys could draw coveted tags I have people every single year that need to roll hunts. And when I know about it six plus months in advance, I can help guys out typically for no additional cost because things are in such high demand by just seat swapping guys like say, Hey, okay, I'm going to put you two years out, but I'm going to resell your hunt to somebody else. So, you know, I can work deposits out and stuff like that for people. And that's just, you know, trying to help people out because, you know, the more somebody communicates with me, the better I can do for them, obviously. But, you know, in those extreme situations of like a month out, days out, what have you, it's kind of dicey there because it's a little bit harder to find a group to replace someone's hunt that short notice. Um, and that's why we encourage things like trip insurance. So like yeah. trip insurance can 100% reimburse a hunter if the day before their trip, they break their leg or test positive for COVID or, you know, any number of things that can happen. Uh, and, and those policies are typically pretty cheap. They're like a couple hundred bucks on a caribou hunt. And obviously nobody wants to use those, but that is what we recommend for worst case scenario. And my rule of thumb, cause I advise a lot of people on these topics and also I go on these hunts myself. So I, I pay for these things too. Um, my rule of thumb is if there is a bush flight involved or if I cannot physically drive to the hunt, I put a trip insurance policy on my hunt. I pay that extra additional fee and, um, those policies are available through a few different companies out there. We're not an insurance company, by the way, we don't sell insurance. We just advocate for it. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so then what about, um, uh, I'm trying to think here what the the next scenario is. It's it's so let's let's talk about lower 48 type mm-hmm. hunts. You know, like I understand that maybe up in Canada, um, especially if you're a United States, you know, if you're an American citizen, you have to ha- go through an outfitter, right? To, or unless you have family, a direct family member that lives up there, you have to go through an outfitter or a guide service to hunt in Canada, correct? Correct. Okay. And then in Alaska, that's a little bit different of a story. Um, but out West, you know, we have, we have all this public land. I still want to go on an Epic hunt. I don't know if necessarily an outfitter would be the, like, is something I want to do, but I wouldn't mind hiring a guide to, 
take me along and help me. Is there a is there a difference between hiring a guide and and um, having a, an outfitter, or are they kind of one in the same? They're kind of one in the same, and there are intermediate packages between fully DIY, like you just going out there and doing it yourself, and a fully guided outfitted trip. Now, a guide is a part of a guided hunt package. And so say, for example, if you booked a like, seven-day guided one-on-one elk hunt in Wyoming or something like that, <clears throat> provided in that package is going to be professional guiding, meals and lodging for your scheduled hunt dates, uh, pre- and post-hunt logistical assistance, transportation while in the field, field care of game harvested while in the field, not included tag license, tax, gratuities, travel incidentals to and from Wyoming. Um, but um, steps down from that would be like if you just wanted a drop camp, like say if you wanted an outfitter to pack you in and drop you off, um, there's logistical advantages to that because you're getting in farther than you would just hike yourself typically. Yep. And then also you don't have to pack your elk out provided that you're successful and then there's a huge cost savings to those two like typical drop camps in the lower 48 are like 2,000 2,500 bucks for a drop camp elk hunt per person Uh, but I will say those are becoming more and more uncommon just because it's just more profitable to do a fully guided hunt and when an outfitter pays their permits for their guide use areas Obviously, I mean, they have to have a certain overhead level they have to reach for the year in order for them to effectively maintain those permits and yeah. and outfitter areas. So, you know, they do them, but they do them in very limited capacities and they do them in between other hunts. Just It's just simple business and economics, really, is what it boils yeah. down to. So that's an option. They're just really uncommon. And then another option out there, too, is that we actually have a gentleman that works with us here at Outdoors International that he deals in landowner vouchers. So like coveted units in New Mexico, Nevada, Colorado, and he can help guys acquire more coveted tags without having to draw. And some of those actually include landowner access, too. So you can kind of do a semi-guided hunt where you kind of have somebody that says, you know, go over here and do this. This is where I'd go, whatever, and assist you with acquiring the tag and get you there, but just not provide meals, accommodations, and a guide service. So, yeah, yeah, because I think like this is this is where someone from the Midwest, I feel, yes, I can go out west. I can find, you know, like there's public land. I have, I'm in decent shape. I can go climb a mountain. I can, uh, you know, hike in. I can hike out. The only thing that I can't do is go and scout. I can't locate animals 365 like I can here in Iowa. You know, I can I can go scout any day I want. But so I think for me, I'm I would be interested in something along the lines of almost like, hey man, there's elk here. You go. I I know there's elk here. It's almost paying for information. You know what I mean? Is, is there Absolutely. that is there that kind of service available? Do do people do that? Yeah, there are scouting services out there. We don't work with any, 
but that's kind of along the same line as like a drop camp where okay. you would be oriented to a certain area. Like say, for example, I've got an area in Idaho as well as Colorado that provides that service. And what they do is they pack people into camp. They provide them with a map, orient them to the area and say, Hey, here's in the past where we've harvested elk. We run guided camps out of this camp as well. Um, this is typically where we're seeing them, what they're doing, and just give you an orientation to the area and then say run with it kind of deal. Yeah. But as far as a dedicated scouting service, we don't work with any of those specifically. Okay. All right. So what's the what's the next step then? A guy he he sits down, he thinks about what he wants, he makes the decision, I want this type of hunt. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you what are some things that maybe get overlooked? that that your your company brings to the table um you know it's like hey i I know that i can go get an elk tag in colorado i know Mm -hmm. that i have i'm gonna put in with seven points for wyoming this year for an elk hunt i know in certain places i know how to read read draw odds i know where my likelihood of getting tags are uh, in in scenarios like that but when it comes to some of these bigger hunts I, i feel like it's, it could almost be overwhelming. That's when, that's when you step in. So what, what do you do in this whole rigmarole of a, of a process that basically just makes it easier for guys like me to get out there and have this, this once in a lifetime experience? Well, I would say exactly like what you just said. I make it easier because these are people, the trip providers, the outfitters that I assist clients with booking with are all people that I work with often. I know their operations like the back of my hand. I know how to set realistic expectations. I know how to advise people on these hunts, what they should expect, what to bring, provide pre-hunt logistical assistance and post-hunt logistical logistical assistance. (laughs) And... Like I said earlier, most of these operations are places that I've hunted with myself personally and can speak of. And, you know, the guided hunt market is a very saturated market, right? So let's say, for example, I mean, if you wanted to go on a Wyoming elk hunt, like you mentioned, if you just Google search Wyoming elk hunt, um, or if you start applying for preference points in Wyoming, You'll notice you get those flyers in the mail and yep. you know there's hundreds and hundreds of outfitters to choose from and it's it's just a saturated market and you don't know where to start and so by working with a company that you know has been through that vetting process for you and can kind of take your expectations and narrow it down it's going to make it a simpler process for you and cut a lot of the work out for you um, and so yeah, that's that's really the long and short of it. Just gotcha. make it simpler for the client. Gotcha. Okay, so now we now it's like for me, like and everybody everybody's expectations are different because everybody makes a different amount of money, and probably there's different expectations of X amount of dollars should get me this right. So uh, let, let's I'm just for some reason I'm going to use ten thousand dollars, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say I've saved up three years four years, I, I'm going to dedicate $10,000 to a dream hunt. What should my expectations be as far as what am I getting in return for that dollar amount? Because that's a big dollar amount. It certainly is. You know, it depends on which hunt you want to go on, right? And so 
if somebody was saying, I have $10,000 to go on a sheep hunt, I'd say keep saving. If somebody had $10,000 <laughs> to go on a trophy elk hunt, I'd say, hey, we're, we're getting in the range. Um, and so it really just depends on what type of hunt you want to go on. And, you know, I always look at the cost of a hunt as it's an overhead cost in the product that you're purchasing and what goes into that overhead cost, which that's, that's a really good thing to dive into as well, because let's say if you go on a $10,000 elk hunt in New Mexico versus a $10,000 elk hunt in Wyoming, um, very different states, very different, right? So in New Mexico, you have a random draw system where it's very, very difficult to acquire a tag. And so when you call me up and say, hey, I want to go on a $10,000 New Mexico elk hunt next year, what goes into the overhead cost of that is a private landowner voucher, professional guiding, meals, accommodations, and whole package. Um, now, half of that overhead cost is just the voucher to get you the tag. And so that still might be a very modest hunt. Realistically, it might be like a modest cabin base, just super basic meals um, and not like the five-star experience per se. Um, but obviously as people, we want to correlate the dollar value to the quality of experience, but it's just all what goes into the overhead cost of that hunt. And so bouncing back over to a state like Wyoming, um, for $10,000, you could have that five-star private ranch lodge-based experience. Um, you might shoot the same elk at both, but you know things vary like accommodations, level of customer service. Does that all make sense? Yeah, yeah. So basically, the, the, the cost of the tag has a lot to do with it. Kind of. Okay. Uh, I was referring to the landowner voucher. So the, so, la the landowner and, voucher is basically a landowner has a tag. He's willing to sell it, right? Yes. Technically, a landowner voucher is not a tag. It's a certificate issued by the state to the landowner that then they can sell at market value, which then they're contracted typically with outfitters that lease their ground to buy those vouchers or pre-purchase those vouchers, which then they can use the voucher to redeem a tag for a client rather than try to draw it for 25 years. Okay. And states like New Mexico and Colorado have a voucher system for landowners. States like Wyoming don't. Okay. Okay. Uh, but it's, I got, it's just, a, it's just a, it's almost a fancy way of getting a, a guaranteed tag. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. All and right. that's why most, most people just call it a landowner tag rather than, break it down and explain it how I do. But I like to explain it that way because it's a tag on that. And so it just allows you to go redeem it and buy the tag without going through the draw. Yeah. Okay, cool, man. Um, so is there anything that else that I'm missing here when it comes to a, a planning prepping, actually going on the hunt. Um, some of these, some of these uh, places also, you know, I, I forget that, whitetail hunting in Iowa or Illinois or the Midwest or the South or whatever is completely different than a moose hunt or a caribou hunt out in Alaska or elk hunt out in the mountains, which might be, you know, some, some different gear might be uh, necessary. Absolutely. So certainly any place that you go is going to have different preparation requirements to include logistics, 
equipment or gear you might need to bring. Typically, you'll need to bring a lot less on a guided hunt because all these things are provided for you, but you're still going to need, you know, basic gear and whatnot. Um, but no, I feel like you, uh, you covered it pretty well. You know, and the biggest thing that I would tell people when planning your bucket list hunt, don't ever tell yourself that any one thing is out of reach because, um, like going on these hunts and doing what I do now, this has been a six or seven year progression for me. I didn't just start this seven years ago and, and do it. It's been a little bit at a time. And, you know, it's like, how do you, how do you run a thousand miles one step at a time? Right. right. So like back in like 2014, when I started planning my first Alaskan hunt, I wanted to go on an Alaskan moose hunt. Um, I was serving part-time in the military and working in an automotive shop. I, didn't make that much money and all I had was grit and determination and I just wasn't going to give up especially when I found out I could do it unguided yeah. so I sweet talked my dad into going on the hunt with me I worked overtime till I could afford a deposit um, a year later I used my tax return to cover my next deposit <laughs> I mean just scratched saved made it work and made it a priority and yeah. you know I, I really think that if somebody wants to do one of these things it's all attainable it's just a matter of prioritizing it, setting goals. Um, and you know, the financial factor is the big deterrent, right? Um, you know, it's a big barrier, but I mean, it's all just math really at the end of the day. I mean, you save a little here, save a little there, work a little extra. And most people can do these kinds of things. So I guess I would just really urge guys to not, not ever feel that any one thing is out of reach. You know, it's just a matter of, establishing a plan and working towards it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, um, which, which is refreshing to hear, right? I mean, that, that goes with anything in life. You want to buy a house, you got to, you got to plan and prep for it, right? You want to buy a car, you want to do anything, you have to plan and prep for it. So, um, is there anything else that I've got for, for, uh, that I forgot to ask or, um, that you, that you may need to mention before, uh, someone starts this process or looks into, uh, going on a, a once in a lifetime epic hunt. Um, we covered a lot for sure, but you know, there's little things that I always ask people to like, I like to get to know clients individually. If I can, I'll ask them what kind of hunts they've been on in the past, what their physical ability level is. Um, hunting experience, shooting ability. You know, I take all of these things into account when when I put it into my own mental algorithm yeah. and uh, take things from big picture to small picture because, you know, the more I know about a person, the better I can do for them, really, at the end of the day. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes, uh, I mean, because every, I'm sure every one of your clients is different. They have different needs, different ages, different, uh, different knees. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, um, absolutely. So that's awesome, man. Well, I tell you what, this has, uh, been a lot of insight. I think, you know, I, I've talked to you, uh, to, you know, to, to get this podcast scheduled, but I think in, in a handful of years, I really want to try to go on some kind of, you know, Canadian or Alaskan, uh, caribou hunt for some reason that that animal just speaks out to me let me ask you this when you went up there with your dad uh, on that drop camp uh, caribou hunt talk to me a little bit about that experience well 
every hunt I've ever been on with my father has been an amazing experience for sure. And that one, that was really cool. It, I summed that entire experience up as memorable. Yeah. And on every single Alaskan hunt that I've ever been on, there have been roadblocks and things that have given us issues along the way. And I, I don't really even like calling them issues, but it's just the Alaskan experience, the logistics, having to exercise your patient's muscle as often as possible and being flexible for things changing, weather delays. And I sum that trip up as memorable because we had a lot of weather issues on that trip. Like when we flew up there, our commercial jet couldn't even land in the village that we were going to. Like we had to get flown back to Anchorage mid-flight and go spend the night somewhere and you know, ran into logistical issues getting there, had weather issues in the field. Um, my, my dear dad, I love that guy, but he, <laughs> I asked him afterwards because he wasn't able to kill a caribou on that trip. And uh, I asked him afterwards what he'd do differently. And he said, well, I, I'd probably start training for it and break my boots in before the first day of the hunt <laughs> next time. And, um, you know, my dad, he's just kind of that old boy mentality of like, you know, yeah, let's just throw some stuff in a bag and go. We got this. Yeah. Like, um, I'm more of the planning type, but um, he had an amazing time. He fished, caught lake trout. He got to watch me kill my caribou. And, um, you know, we just had an all around memorable quality experience, but we still had to deal with the normal things that Alaska can and often does throw at you, like yeah. weather, logistical issues, last year COVID. Um, but just an awesome adventure all around. Very scenic, beautiful. Spent half the time weathered in, the other half of the time hunting our butts off. The animals were moving through a little bit farther away, which I should add in there that we saw quite a few animals they were just a little bit farther than my my dad was comfortable with hiking yep. and um so it was it was a, a great alaskan experience though did you run into any grizzly bears oh yeah 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 saw bears every single day okay that's something i gotta yep. mentally prepare for if i ever go on some kind of hunt like that yeah and the thing about hunting around grizzly bears, I've done it a few times now, and I've actually even been fortunate to hunt a grizzly bear one time. But the first time I ever hunted around grizzlies, like when you see that sucker on a ridge top a mile away, just inhaling blueberries like a vacuum, and it's just this just massive muscle moving across the top of that ridge, it really humbles you to see those animals in person. Yeah. And But the reality of it is that the old adage of like a gunshot is a dinner bell. Um, it, it's just not true from my experience. Um, like I know people that have had issues with grizzly bears. I've, I've had a grizzly bear steal some meat from a meat cache on one of my moose hunts in 2018, but grizzly bears, they really don't want to be around you and something that I was able to observe on this caribou hunt that I did with my father and family friend this past year, we had this really nice glassing knob and every single day at some point I could see a grizzly bear off in the distance. But I noticed after we were there for a couple days, there was like this invisible two mile bubble around us. They would not come within that bubble. So I mean, they knew we were there and they were avoiding us and we didn't want them to come into our camp obviously, but 
they were deliberately avoiding us. And so, I mean, they have a strong fear of man. And I really realized that too, when I had the opportunity to go on a grizzly bear hunt, um, those animals are just so stinking switched on. It's not even funny. Like we'd go on a stalk on a bear and without the wind for cover noise, like 1,800 yards away, they'd hear you walking in the brush, stand up and run the other way. Yeah. I, I just I just couldn't believe how switched on they were. So, I mean, it's really not as big of a deal as people make it up to be. It's a reality that you have to be aware of. You have to respect the bear. You have to, quote unquote, be bear aware. Um, but what it boils down to is just decision-making in the field. And don't bring your meat in the tent. Keep your meat a certain distance away, not too close, not too far. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's just a decision making thing. Yeah. Whole bunch to learn on, on that end. So I tell you what, man, I, I really appreciate your time today. Uh, before we let and uh, before we let you go, though, why don't you uh, drop your contact information there so that anybody who is listening, maybe it's time for them to go on their dream hunt. They want to get a hold of you and just, uh, you know, pick your brain for a little bit. Uh, how do they get a hold of you? Right on. Well, you can shoot me an email or call or text me. My email is khanson at outdoorsinternational.com. That's K-H-A-N-S-O-N at outdoors-international.com. You can check out the website there too. Or you can shoot me a call or text on my cell. It is 319-936-6917. All right, man. Well, uh, Kyle, man, I really appreciate your time. Good luck in all your upcoming uh, adventures. And uh, we'll talk to you when we talk to you. Sounds great, man. I appreciate you having me on. And there you have it. Huge shout out to Hunt Stand, Lone Wolf, excuse me, Hunt Stand, Novex, Wasp, Ozonix, Vortex, Exodus, Excalibur. Please go out and support those brands. Huge shout out to Kyle um, for uh, taking time out of his day to hop on and chat. If you're curious about this, I'm not joking. Call the dude. He will talk to you about whatever you want to talk about. He will help you plan whatever you want to plan for. Uh, and uh, how they how they make their money is, uh, like they mentioned in the podcast, is unique to uh, their their uh, business plan so uh it's uh it, it, it doesn't hurt to just go and talk to them other than that uh la, 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 be safe out there if you're still hunting please wear a safety harness um and remember as crazy as the world is right now i even find myself getting stressed even when i go to the grocery store have to wait in line to fill up with gas i feel myself getting stressed but when you put good vibes out into the universe you'll get good excuse me you'll get good vibes back so good vibes in good vibes out I guess love your neighbor and we'll talk to you next time.